Hey everybody, it's David Burkus. I am so excited. My new book, Under New Management, launches in just a few short months. If you want to get a special preview of the book and find out more about it, I've put together some awesome previews and pre-order bonuses for first movers. To get on that list, text first mover to 33444. That's first mover, all one word, to 33444, or go to com first mover. Now, on to this episode of the Leader Lab Podcast. This is Fred Keel, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? Well, I am uh, Fred Keel, and I am a psychologist by training. I've spent the last 30 or 35 years serving as an advisor and confidant to leaders of large organizations, and, and I still do that, although... At this point, I'm focusing more on giving uh, talks to audiences that are interested in the subject of character and, and leadership. And the um, the message, I should say, that you're putting out there it took the form of a book recently. Um, the return the book is called Return on Character: The Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. And the book came out of um, see if those long term listeners to the show know that when somebody says like oh, I'm trained as a psychologist and then I've been working as a consultant for. You know that that's like right up the alley of what we what we go for that bridge between research and practice and this the the study that is the sort of focal point of the book um, is a really really in depth one I think seven years and something like eight thousand um, employees surveyed and that type of thing so tell us a little bit about the study first how you designed it and then we'll get into the implications that you found sure yeah, what I could probably uh, start with is is the reason why I did the study. I'm the co-author of a book that was published in 2005. It's called Moral Intelligence, and my my co-author and I asserted in that in that book that leaders who honor a set of uh, universal moral principles, uh, moral principles that cultures in all around the globe honor, and and parents teach their children and integrity, telling the truth, um, responsibility, owning up to your own mistakes, uh, and then forgiveness and compassion. So it's sort of two of the head and two of the heart. We asserted that leaders who honored those principles would get better long-term business results than those who didn't. And the book has been very well uh, received. It's into its second edition, and it's in six other languages and all of that. But shortly after it it was published, a reviewer contacted me and and said, you know, um, I know you like all that soft stuff because you're a psychologist, but he said, you know, really what creates value, you should know, is the business model. It's not the soft stuff. If you have a good business model, then all the culture stuff will follow and, and will fall into place. And even if it doesn't, um, you know, it, that's not all that important as long as management stays legal. But everything you think is so important is, is really just uh, nice to have, but it's not really necessary. It's frosting on the cake. And then he kind of threw down the gauntlet and he said, because, besides, you don't have any data. And, and, you know, and he was right. We didn't have any hard data. We had talked to a lot of people and interviewed a lot of people who thought that we were onto a, a good idea. Moral intelligence is sort of a basic form of intelligence that uh, serves as a foundation for all the influencing skills. But because we didn't have any data, I thought, you know, why don't we try to find out and, and get data? Let's let's launch a research study, which I naively thought would take a couple of years. Uh, it took seven years but we launched a research study to go out and, and measure, try to get a handle on how do you measure the character of, of leaders. And we figured out that the best way to measure the character of a leader is to ask the employees that uh, work with the leader to 
rates, how often they tell the truth, how often they keep their promises, and, and uh, how often they own up to their own mistakes, and how often do they show forgiveness and, and caring and compassion. And from that, we were able to create a, a character score for the CEOs and their leadership teams. And at the same time, we collected hard data about their financial success. We, we obtained the return on assets figure for the last two years of each of the 84 organizations in the study. And like I say, it took us seven years to compile all of this data, but we ended up with almost just short of a million data points in our database on these 84 CEOs and organizations. And uh, we were we were totally blown away with how strong the results are. Um, character, when you sort on character on these 84, the top scoring CEOs and their leadership teams create almost five times the amount of bottom line results, return on assets, as do those uh, CEOs at the lower end of the character scores. When we sorted for all other factors, trying to find others that would would uh, pop out the same results, we couldn't find any. It wasn't tenure. It wasn't um, it wasn't education. It wasn't a set of beliefs that related to politics, or it wasn't their religious practices. None of these things. Bob was the early home life but it was their character habits, how strongly they and consistently they told the truth and kept their promises and, and uh, owned up their own mistakes and showed forgiveness when people other people make mistakes and showed that they really cared for people as people and not as objects. So that may be a little more in-depth than you wanted, David. But no, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a huge insight, and you, you hit on one of the things I was really hoping you would you would um, put out there, which is not only the five times greater return on assets number, which I think is crazy, but the fact that, in, that you couldn't find other sort yeah. of markers or drivers of it. You know, so so often when we talk about, like, um, we talk about Jim Senegal and, and Costco, right, or, mm-hmm. or some of mm-hmm. these sort of people, these companies that are famous for, or, or Dan, the Wegman family and Wegmans or what right. have you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always presented as this, like, isn't that great? They've managed to build a, a little business while also taking care of people. And it's like, no, they've, they've managed to build a business because they took care of people. Yeah. Like, that's, right. yeah. that, that's, that's the exactly insight, it. right? Yeah. So let's, because one of the things I think is interesting is, and you even said the phrase, character habits. I think this is interesting because character, there's a, there's a bunch of different perspectives and, and most of them sort of border on the philosophical as far as right. what character is and how you can kind of develop character. And I, I love the insight. Maybe I mean, it, it goes back to, I think, Thomas Jefferson or Benjamin Franklin, one of those people that, that said sort of, I mean, I, actually, they were probably echoing works of like Socrates that were saying greatness or character is a habit. And I like that idea because habits are acquirable, right? So right. it's not something that you're sort of born with, although who you were born with and who you were raised by, et cetera, I'm sure affects this, but it's a habit anybody can mm-hmm. learn regardless of that situation. Talk, tell us more about this kind of character as habit uh, idea. Well, when, when you start from the standpoint that your behavior is a reflection of your character, you know, Abraham Lincoln said that character is like a tree and its shadow is your reputation. Um, so we, when you think of someone that you would identify as being a person of really strong character, why, why are you able to make that assessment? It's not because of some inner sort of mystical, uh, philosophical stance they have. It's because of their behavior. They are people who tell the truth and who have a certain humility about accepting their own mistakes, and they respond to other people's mistakes with curiosity rather than shame and blame, and they treat people as people. When you identify somebody that 
behaves in that way, you are drawn to them and you admire them. And, and people all around the globe identify people who show those behaviors as a person having deep and strong character. So that's um, so when you think of somebody like that, you, you realize that their behavior and how they treat other people is really a matter of habit. We acquire these ways of treating people, other people, all through our growing up years. And for their, for people who develop really strong habits, so that their first response is to tell the truth, their first response is to own up to their own mistakes, to be forgiving and to be compassionate, those are the people that we say have the strongest characters. But they are habits. And because they are habits, uh, they can be uh, unlearned, they can be adapted, they can be changed. I'm not always saying that's always easy, but um, it can be done. And most often, the first step in changing habits is to become aware of them. Because they are habits, most people are unaware of what their, their reputation really is. We found that of the 84 CEOs in the study, that none of them were very accurate in assessing and identifying uh, how other people saw them, what their reputation was. The the top character people tended to underestimate how their employees saw them. They gave themselves lower marks. The low character leaders that we called the self-focused CEOs consistently and grossly overestimated how their employees saw them. They saw themselves as being just as virtuous as the virtuoso CEOs, but their employees rated them very much lower than that. So there's this lack of self-awareness that has to be the first step in change is to uh, find out what's what's the real scoop about how other people see me. Well, see, I think th there's two really cool points in there I, I want to dig in on. One is that was, to me, some of the sort of brilliance of the study was this idea that, well, it doesn't really matter what you would say to a self-assessment that will compare to return on assets. Mm -hmm. That's irrelevant. What matters is what your people say about how you lead because they're the ones that are actually being led by it. The other is that you use, you use this term to sort of distinguish the, the high scale from the low scale people, the virtuoso ver versus a self-focused leader. How Did you sort of come up with a definition or a set of character habits that define that kind of virtuoso leader as opposed to the self-focused leader? Well, we, we um, looked at the extremes in our study of the 84 CEOs. They uh, actually were spread out on a very nice distribution. We our character score metric went from 0 to 100, and the lowest scoring CEO in the study was at 56, and the highest one was at 93. So we had a nice uh, spread between the lowest and the highest. Once we completed the study and had all of the data in, we decided to look at the top 10 and the bottom 10 and compare them and look at, at their differences and at their similarities. So we initially started calling the top 10 the strong character CEOs and the bottom 10 the the weak character CEOs. And the more we got into the study and, and all that, we found ourselves starting to comment about how these strong character leaders were such uh, high-level performers of the art of leadership. And we started thinking of our leadership as a performing art. And we said, well, when somebody's really good at a performing art, we, you call them a virtuoso. So that name stuck there. And for the low character leaders, the more we looked into them, more more we realized that the best term for them was self-focused because this is clearly how their employees saw them. They saw them as people who were primarily motivated to uh, use people in a way that uh, helped them with their own financial goals or their own personal security, financial security. They were totally focused on, first on response was to be focused on themselves and what they wanted to, to get out of the uh, company, not what was best for the company or for the employees or other stakeholders. Hmm. So uh, 
I guess one I was going to ask I was I mean I was planning on asking so if you're if you're not a virtuoso leader how do you sort of start to develop those habits or what advice would you have for for first time leaders but I guess there's the idea that if you're a self-focused leader you wouldn't know necessarily that you needed to develop your virtuoso character habits right because right. you right. because they didn't see that they had a problem so maybe maybe let's just ask you you're starting out you're sort of at first time in that kind of leadership role or or first time wanting to regardless of where you think think you might have scored on the scale. Mm-hmm. How do you um, get started in growing those habits? Well, you, you have to make it very safe for other people to give you feedback and give you information and ask for it. And even doing that, um, we think there's limited uh, success in that because most people are pretty hesitant to tell you, especially if you uh, have some really annoying <laughs> character habits, they're pretty pretty unlikely to, to tell you what they are. Um, there's, so there's a couple of different ways you can go. We have on our website a um, it's called the Character Predictor tool, and it is a tool that we developed, our data scientists developed it, that 65 questions, you answer it, and it will predict if others were to survey you and give you feedback, where would you fall on what we call our character curve? Would you be similar to the self-focused CEOs or more similar to the virtuoso CEOs? Now, there are 65 questions on that, and there are a lot of questions that you wonder, what in the world does that have to do with leadership and, and, and character? And, and frankly, we don't know either, but our data scientists found that those particular items were very predictive or part of the algorithm for predicting uh, where you w- would be on the character curve. Now, this tool is imprecise in that it's you got at least a 10% uh, failure or error rate, So, but it's it's better than your own self-assessment. The only way to get a really a, a true picture of how others view you is to have a really a good 360 survey tool that we've created that uh, we can make available to people if they contact us again. Um, that where you send it out to at least 30 people that know you well enough to uh, have to rate your character habits, and when you take the average of all of those ratings, it'll come in. That we think is a very um, accurate picture of the strength of your character habits on these four big dimensions of integrity, responsibility, forgiveness, and compassion. Hmm. See, I think that's that's interesting. So, you know, because we were just talking about sort of the delusion of being that overly self-focused, but you've, you've done an awesome statistical trick there where you've figured out, like, here, here are the questions. It, it may not have that sort of surface-level validity where you think you're taking a leadership exam, but that might actually be a good thing because if you're a self-focused mm-hmm. delusional mm-hmm. leader, right, you're, you're right. probably not going to get a very accurate thing anyway. So mm-hmm. that's all. So that is at, if I remember it, that's at, return at character, returnoncharacter.com to take that test. So I want to I want to encourage kind of people to do it. Yeah. And then I guess the, the one other question I've been sort of dying to ask you is um, from the follower perspective, besides quitting, you know, what are some of the things you think that are, are sort of survival or coping mechanisms for if you realize that you don't have a virtuoso leader? Well, that's pretty, pretty difficult. You know, um, levels of workforce engagement in this country are appallingly low. The fact that there's so many of them shows that that there's not an easy solution to this. For some people who have the courage to want to go go against that, uh, if they use all of their influencing skills they can possibly muster, it may be possible to to get to somebody who's a leader that's acting in a self-focused way and but do it just by talking about how how their behavior is is impacting you not attacking them for what they do. 
but it's a pretty weak weak gun, if you uh, will, with regard to trying to achieve something. It's pretty difficult. The real responsibility for dealing with self-focused leaders comes from the leaders above them in the organization. And if it's the CEO, then it's the responsibility of the board. Now that we have the data that we've come up with in our study and the, and the tool that we have created for assessing character, there's no excuse for a board not to do an annual evaluation of the entire senior leadership team with regard to their strength of their character habits because we know that there's such a direct connection between their character habits and the bottom line. So it's the board's responsibility to do that. Hmm. No, I think that's a great point. And yeah, I was I was actually going to suggest a simple hack for for coping with it, which is to to get a copy of Return on Character and then bribe the cleaning crew to leave it anonymously <laughs> on the desk of your of your boss so that it's there the next day and you have plausible deniability, right? So that was that was my strategy. But yours, I like yours as well. This is, but you know, um, I want to switch a bit from the book to you. We ask all of our guests two questions. Um, the first deals with books. What are you reading right now? I'm just uh, at the last few pages, the final chapter of a book that just came out called The Open Organization, and it's written by Jim Hoyhurst, who is the CEO of uh, Red Hat Computing, and Jim was actually one of the CEOs in our study, so I uh, had that connection with him, and I read this, this, um, his book that he talks about The Open Organization. It's a method of, of leading that's very much descriptive of how the virtuoso CEOs lead, so I highly recommend that to your, to your readers. And your second question was? So the second question is, because I know there's there's this book and then there's a lot of the work that KRW does. What, what's next for you? You've, you've got the hard data now. So what's next? Or, or did somebody else make a, a snide comment and now you know you need hard data on something something in the future? Well, what, what's next, or the, sort of the top goal that I'm really focused on, is how to bring in character development into the as part of the core curricula for business schools. Um, I feel... In a, in a way that I've been doing remedial education for years by working with these leaders who are, are good people, but they are underdeveloped with regard to the strength of their character habits. So it has led me to wonder what would happen if when they were in business school, if they had had been, their strength of their character habits had been measured when they came into business school and measured again when they got out, because people go to business schools to be prepared to go out and create value and how who they are what is just as is more important actually than what they know how to do but business schools focus on the what not on the who so i'm um, i'm turning my attention to that as a major objective Oh, I think that's an that's an amazing idea. And actually, I I forgot to tell you to you until now, but I was I was thinking about in prepping for this interview that to me the book Return on Character ought to be required reading in any of the sort of business ethics courses at business schools because so much of you know we we in response to two thousand eight right we sort of mandated that business schools have this ethics class, but they sort of take the moral philosophy approach. Now we've got hard numbers on why there's there's a business case for developing these habits. So um, to all of you out there that may be program administrators of MBA programs, right. something to think about. <laughs> to those of you that are not and just want to get started, the book again, Return on Character, The Real Reason Leaders and Their Companies Win. Fred, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. You're very welcome, David. It's been a pleasure. 